My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we are continuing our series on gospel-centered generosity. Uh, now, for many years, I was the children's pastor here at the church. And when you're a children's pastor, you end up talking to kids about things like heaven and eternity and being with Jesus forever. And that means that you also end up needing to introduce concepts like death and what happens after death. And that can be a little bit of a tricky thing because the last thing I want is for kids to come running out of the children's service going, Mom, Mom, Pastor Peter says we're all going to die. <laughs> and so I came up with a story that I would tell the kids about how I plan on living to be 120 years old. I don't know how long you plan on staying alive for, but I plan on living to 120. And my plan is that I'm going to be lying in my great big bed, and uh, my wife, Teacher Crystal, will be lying there beside me, and all my hair will have turned gray. I don't know if it'll be this long then, but, uh, and I will have wrinkles all over my face, and I'm going to have hair coming out of my nose, hair coming out of my ears, and I will be surrounded by my children. My children will be there. My children's children will be there. My children's children's children, maybe their children, and I don't know how many generations are going to be there, but they're all going to be gathered around my bed, and I will look at them with love in my eyes, and then ah, I'll die. Uh, and the kids would laugh, and it would kind of introduce what can be a heavy subject. Uh, now, I told that story to the kids a lot. I told it over and over, no matter how many times I told that story, Whenever it got to the part where I was just lying there looking at all my kids, I could never come up with what my parting words to my kids would be. You know, it's kind of hard to think about it. It's, I don't really know. I couldn't ever be satisfied with what would I say in that moment. I just went right to the eh. Well, today I want us to look in the Bible at uh, one of the most emotionally charged parts of the New Testament. We're going to go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. If you've got your Bible or a Bible app, I would love for you to join me there. Acts chapter 20. And we're going to look at a guy named Paul who was one of the great leaders of the first century Christian church. And Paul is uh, on his way to Jerusalem. And he knows that things are going to be very difficult for him. And he has gathered some of his friends from the church in Ephesus, and they've actually traveled to meet with him. And he is talking with them, and he knows that this is probably the last time that he is going to see them. And so he's choosing his parting words to leave with them before he's about to just get on a boat and sail away and may never see them again. And so as you're turning to Acts chapter 20, I want you to think about what would be your famous last words. What would you choose as your parting words? If you knew that you were not long for this world, or you knew that you were going to have to go away and not see any of your friends again, what would it be that you would say? That's kind of a, a difficult thing for us to think about. It's a, it's a little bit heavy. It's a little uncomfortable. And I know if we were to go around this room and everybody were to answer what they would choose their parting words to be. There would be all sorts of different answers. But I think that we would all agree that we would want our parting words to be significant and not frivolous. You know, it's probably not the time to pull out the, go flames, go. You know, it's probably not the time to stir up an old argument about who was right and who was wrong. 
you're probably not going to take that time to chat about what the weather is going to be like next week. You're not going to uh, be just choosing something frivolous to say. You're not just going to be saying, before I go, i got to tell you about what I'm streaming on Netflix right now. It's so good. i just got to leave that with you. We would want to say something significant. What would you choose to make your parting words? We're going to look at what Paul says in Acts chapter 20. So if you're there, we're going to start in verse 22. I'm going to read from the ESV, the English Standard Version. And this is Paul speaking. And he says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul continues in the next few verses, and he's charging these elders of the church of Ephesus, these house pastors, these, these believers. He charges them to look after the flock, that, the people that Jesus has given to them. And he charges them to watch out for wolves and people who would come and try and pick those people off or lead them astray. And then he goes into the very last thing that he's going to say right before he's just going to go and get on this boat and probably never see them again. He does not expect to ever see them again. And this is the final thing he chooses to share with them. We're going to look at verse 32. <clears throat> it says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So what we're going to look at today is Paul's last words to the Ephesian elders. And I want to highlight four things that Paul chooses to share with his group of believers in his parting words. Before we get into the first of those, are you a little bit surprised by what Paul chooses as his parting words? At the topics that he chooses, out of everything he could have said, I find it interesting that he chose to say this as his final words to them. Let's highlight what he said. The first thing that Paul says to them is it was, it's all about the gospel. It's all about the good news of grace. He says, I commend to you, you to the word of grace. 
That word of grace, that means the good news, the gospel. He refers to it in verse 24 as well, where he talks about how Jesus has commissioned him and given him this mission, and it's to share the gospel of grace. That this to Paul is so important that in this final section of what he's going to say, he makes it the first thing, that he commends them to the word of grace. That it's the good news, the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is good news that Jesus Christ was given to us, that God gave him to us, that while we were dead in our sins, while we were enemies of God, while we were mired in sin and in darkness, that God gave us Christ Jesus, that he came and he lived a perfect life as an example to us, and that he chose to die a horrific death on the cross, that he was crucified, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead in power, in victory. And now because of what Jesus Christ has done, we can be saved by faith, because of grace, because of the unmerited favor of God, not because of your moral record or what I have been able to accomplish, not because we could give anything, not because of us at all, but all because of Jesus. It's the good news of grace. And what I find interesting is that I think a lot of times for myself and others of us that have grown up in church or maybe we've been in church a long time, we can sometimes start to think of the gospel as a starting point. You know, it's a launching pad. You know, I, I want to, yeah, the gospel's good, but I want to get to the deep things of the Bible. And so we leave the gospel, that's for new believers or that's for people who aren't saved yet. They need to know the good news of Jesus, but give me some of that deep stuff of the Bible. But it's apparent that Paul doesn't see it that way. I mean, consider who Paul's audience is. They are the elders of the church of Ephesus. They are mature believers. They are house pastors. And yet he is saying to them, I commend you to the word of grace. It's the gospel of grace. We got to hold on to this. This is not a starting point. This is something not that we grow beyond. But for Paul, this is the be-all, end-all. Because he had an encounter with Jesus that has been continuing to change him and transform his life. It's not something he has moved beyond. He makes it the first thing in this final words to the Ephesian elders. He commends them to the word of grace. Because it's the word of grace that builds us up. It is our inheritance that now we, as those who believe in Jesus because of faith, because of grace, now we are the seed of Abraham. Now we are co-heirs with Christ. So the first thing Paul says is it's all about the good news of grace. Then the second thing he says, after he talks about, you know, it builds us up, it's our inheritance, it seems like he takes a quick left turn to where he says, I didn't covet anybody's gold or silver or fine apparel. Kind of seems like he's, he's going one direction and then he's like, whoa, I didn't covet. Now that word coveted, a more modern word for it would be greedy. What Paul is saying, the second thing Paul says is, I wasn't greedy. The first thing he says is, it's all about the good news of grace. Then the second thing Paul says is, I wasn't greedy. 
Now, the interesting thing about greed and being greedy is that if we were to, to pull the audience, none of us here would consider ourselves greedy. In fact, I heard a pastor say that in all his years of ministry, he had all sorts of people come to him and they confessed all manner of sins. They knew what they had done was wrong. But in decades and decades of ministry, he had never once had anyone come to him and say, help, I'm greedy. And so if the problem is that it's difficult for us to identify in ourselves if we are greedy. I mean, when you think about who's greedy, oh, it's those people who just want more and more. It's those greedy corporations. Have we ever thought of ourselves as, as greedy? The second thing Paul says is, I wasn't greedy. I wasn't in it for the gold. I wasn't in it for the silver. I wasn't in it for the fine apparel. And in the New Testament, Paul connects coveting or covetousness with idolatry. Paul says they're the same thing. And when it comes to us as Christians, the issue of idolatry is not so much that I'm concerned that you're going to go home and, and bow down to a little statue in your house and worship that statue. But that idolatry, what it looks like in our lives, is when we take good things and we make them into the ultimate thing. So we take something good and wonderful, like our children that God has given us. But we put them above God and we make them the ultimate thing in our life. And so now our happiness is tied to if our children are doing well. We want our children to do well. But whether or not I'm happy is determined by my children. My hope becomes placed in my children. My identity, my purpose is found in my children. So what happens when my children go away or when things aren't going well for my children? I can realize I've made it an idol. I've made it the ultimate thing. We can make our career the ultimate thing. And our happiness and our hope is tied to our career. Our identity is in our career. Our reason for being is in our career. It could be our comfort. It could be our desire to be attractive to others. It could be in our status, that we want to have a certain status and for people to see us in a certain light. And we elevate that good thing into the ultimate thing. And we need to be on the lookout for these idols that so easily creep into our heart. I mean, you can come to church and you can enjoy Christian teaching and you can love God, but functionally, if anything else, any good thing has become the ultimate thing, if your happiness is not from God, if your hope is not from God, if your identity is not from God, if your meaning is not from God, then you have an idol. Paul says, I wasn't Greedy. It's the second thing he shares with them. Wasn't in it for any of that. And then the third thing that Paul shares is I worked hard. Let me read it to you. In verse 34, in the second half of the verse, he says, These hands ministered to my necessity and to those who were with me. 35, all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Paul talks about Working hard. Now, I think sometimes for us, we can find ourselves getting out of balance when it comes to work. Sometimes we undervalue hard work, and other times we overvalue hard work. Some of us, we are wired where we just want to get it done, and we just think, if I could just work a little harder, if I could just do a little more, then it doesn't matter if God blesses me or not, I'm going to get there. 
And other times we can see in our lives where we just think it's all just God has blessed us and it's so good. And I, I found that in myself where I was having a conversation with my wife a few months ago. And I was just kind of sitting back and saying, you know, God is so good. God has just blessed us. God's just blessed us. We are just so blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. And then my wife kind of looked at me and said, yes, like God has blessed us, but we also work hard. Like it, it's taken a lot of hard work and God has blessed our hard work. And I was a little bit offended by that at first. What do you mean hard work? No, we're, we're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. But I, I sat back and started to realize, yes, God has blessed, but it also takes hard work. And sometimes I can undervalue the hard work that is required. And Paul it just puts it right out there. I worked hard. I worked hard with my hands, not for myself, but to take care of myself and others so that I can be in a position to give and to be generous. And Paul went out of his way when he talked to the New Testament churches to make sure that he was able to go and to cover his expenses and to take care of these things while he was also asking them to give and to be generous. So Paul says, it's all about the good news of grace. I wasn't greedy and I worked hard. You know, I read a couple articles this last week that talked about the Canadian response to the pandemic. You know, oftentimes if we want to look at, are we greedy? We can look at how we spend our money. And the areas that are really, really easy for us to spend our money on can sometimes reveal some of those idols. But it's not just for those who are spenders. It's also for those of us who are really careful with our money and who are savers. And the Canadian response to the pandemic has been to sock away money. That many, many Canadians have been just saving money. Anytime the government gives them money, they just put it into savings and we're being really careful and not spending a lot of money. You know, vacations are not looking the same and, and some of the things that we would be doing otherwise, we're just not doing them and we're saving and holding on to that money. But sometimes that can become an idol. And it's the control that we desire to have to be able to say, it doesn't matter if there's a recession. It doesn't matter if there's a disaster. I know I'm going to be okay because of what's in my bank account. Oftentimes, that's the struggle that I have. It's not necessarily the, in the things that I spend my money on as much as that I'm holding on so tightly to my money. And so again, there, my happiness is tied to my bank account. My hope is tied to my bank account. My identity is tied to the money that I have in the bank. My meaning is tied to that money. Paul says, I wasn't greedy, I worked hard. And it all leads up to the fourth thing that he says. And he quotes Jesus, and he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The fourth thing that Paul communicates, this is the final thing that he says to them before he's getting on a boat and never seeing them again. It's all leading up to this, to where he quotes Jesus and says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The fourth thing that Paul says is, I showed it's better to give than to receive. You know, I think that sometimes that is something that we say, but do we really believe that? You know, I've heard it said that all of Jesus' teaching on money can be summed up in the statement, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul chooses this as the final thing he says because he's lived it. He believes it. He knows that it truly is 
more blessed to give than to receive. But I think sometimes it's, it's hard for us to truly believe that. We can say it, but do we believe it? You know, I, when I was eight years old, there's no way you could have convinced me that it was more blessed to give than to receive. Eight-year-old me, Christmas time, I'm sitting there with my pile of presents. I'm watching, yeah, everybody else. Mom, open your gift. Yeah, my foot is tapping. I'm just like, come on, come on, when's it my turn again? Yeah, oh yeah, I gave you a card. Yeah, open the card, Grandma. That's great. When's it my turn to open my gift again? No, I would have said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Yes, yes. But no, it was all about the gifts. But then we grow up, we get a little older. We start to see it shift a little bit to now where Christmas is all about giving. It's all about my kids opening their gifts. It's all about what I can give to them. For me, one of the best parts of Christmas is that I have two uh, teenage nieces. And I mean, what do you buy teenage nieces? I buy them board games. That's what I get them. And so uh, I go and I research online and I find what the best board games are. And then I go down to the board game store and I stand in front of the wall of board games and I talk to the clerks in the shop and I get their opinions on what the best board games are. And then I choose very carefully two board games and I take them home and I wrap them up and I give them to them. And this year it was on Zoom. I was watching as they were opening their gifts at Christmas. And it was so exciting to me to be able to give them these gifts. You know, my teenage nieces, what do they, what do they have that they could give me? They, it's, I am in the position to give. It's far better for me to give than anything that they could possibly give to me. You know, when we're in the position to give, it's better to give, to be able to give, to have something to give, than to be in the position where we're in need of the gift. The last thing that Paul says is it's better to give than to receive. I, he showed it with his life. You know, I believe that every Christian who has been transformed by the saving power of Jesus absolutely wants to be generous. I know that we have a generous church full of people who love to be generous, who love to give. You know, wouldn't you love to be in a position to give a huge tithe to the church. A tithe simply means 10%. So that means that if you're in a position where you're giving 10% of what you have, what you were given, if that 10% is huge, then the math would indicate that the 90% that you have with you is hugerer. 10% huge, 90% hugerer. Wouldn't you love to be in a position to give a huge tithe? Wouldn't you love to be in a position where you are at church and the Holy Spirit is just speaking to you and there's an opportunity for an offering and you just feel it? You walked in there, you weren't expecting to give, and now you're just like, God, I'm going to give to this. I'm going to sow into that. Wouldn't you just love to be in that position? You know, have you ever blessed a family in our church that's in need, an individual in our church where you knew there was a need and you secretly Bless them. I'm telling you, there is nothing more fun for a Christian to do with their money than to secretly give some money to somebody. I mean, just shove money in an envelope, drive to their house, throw it at the door, ring the doorbell, run out to your car and peel away so they have no idea who blessed them. 
Wouldn't you love to be in the position to do that? Wouldn't you love to be able to be the type of person who can give lands and houses to the kingdom of God? Wouldn't you love to be able to sow into worldwide missions and to bless our missionaries? Wouldn't you love to be able to bless and honor our pastors or to ensure that the church staff is taken care of? Wouldn't you love to be a person who could be a giver and a blessing and a generous person to sow into God's kingdom? Wouldn't you love to invest into our children, our children's ministry and our youth ministry so they'd have no lack? Or to give money towards translating the Bible into different languages and ensuring that we can get Bibles to unreached people's groups? Doesn't it get you excited to think about, to be in a position, to be generous? I know we have a generous church. We are full of people who love to be generous. Wouldn't it be great if we had a guest speaker coming in where you were able to just take care of the expenses so it it didn't impact the church at all? Just, I want to pay for their hotels and their meals. I just want to take care of it. Wouldn't it be great when the world opens up more and we're able to go on missions trips to go with the pastors and with people and just pay your own way and to be able to be a blessing. And I know many in our church have already participated in that. It gets me excited to think about being generous. I know that we love sowing into God's kingdom. And I think the thing for us is, let's start now. What can we do now to be generous? You know, when we're looking at ourselves and trying to diagnose if we're greedy, it's a difficult thing. It's a challenge even sometimes to see those things that can become the ultimate thing, those idols. But when it comes to uh, the solution to greed, the solution to dealing with our idols isn't that we need to love our children less or love our career less. It's that we need to love God more. We love God more than those other things. And the solution is when we see that greed, that desire in ourselves to give into things that aren't important or to hold on and and try to have control, it's to give, to be those who give. So how can we start today? How can we be generous today? I don't know about you. Maybe you also hate uh, the statistics that say that Christians are lousy tippers, That the worst time to be a waiter or waitress at a restaurant is on a Sunday uh, when there's not a pandemic and everybody goes out for lunch after church. And they say that's the worst time because Christians are bad tippers. I mean, can we be those who change those statistics? Can we be generous? No matter what our service is, just to, to give and to be generous. How can we be generous today? You know, maybe you're not in a position where you could just stand up and start handing out $100 bill, $100 bill to people. But could we be people who have a $5 bill and who come to church and say, God, I am believing that by the time it's time for me to leave today, you're going to show me who to give this to, $5 or $10 or $20. Could we be those people? to Just say, God, I'm ready to give. God, I'm setting money aside. And when you put it on my heart, I'm going to sow into that offering. I'm going to sow into that ministry. I'm ready to be generous. 
You know, maybe you could be one of those people who goes from giving when our heart is stirred and when we feel like it to going to being a, a percentile giver. To say, okay, of all the amount that comes in, I'm going to give a percentage of it to God. You know, percentile giving is a wonderful thing about Christianity because whether you have a lot or a little, the percentage is the same. We can all be givers in this way. You know, maybe it's to go on our website and find out who our missionaries are and the different missionaries that we support in Haiti and the Philippines and around the world and to say, you know what, I'm going to make a monthly commitment. It could just be a, a very small amount, but every month I'm going to sow that into that ministry. Maybe you're in a position where you don't have anything extra to give. I mean, it has been a very difficult year for many of us. But could you come and give of yourself on a Sunday morning and volunteer in the children's ministry or Friday nights with the youth ministry and, and just be there and give yourself to them? Can we be those who are generous? You know, as we come to the end of our time together, I want to invite the band to come up. I think that there are two types of wealthy people. There's the type of wealthy person who just continues to desire more. They just want more. It's never enough. Just, I need more and more and more. And there's the other type of wealthy person who recognizes that there's nothing that anyone could give them. What, what could I be given? And instead they see the joy and the blessing in giving to others. You know, for us, Jesus is our rich man. Jesus is the one who has given us everything. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and again, he highlights grace. Remember, for Paul, it's all about the good news of grace. He doesn't move past it. That's what it's all about. And he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That Jesus became poor so that through his poverty now we can be rich. Here's what I want us to do as we come to the end of our time. If you are able, I would love for you to stand with me. Would you stand with me? And I have a list here of 38 blessings that we have through Christ. And I want to read these to us to remind us of the great riches that we have, of how blessed we are because of Jesus Christ, because of the good news of what he has done. That now we are the seed of Abraham. We are co-heirs with Christ. So I'm going to read these out. When we get to the end, we're simply going to lift up our hands and we're going to worship our God who has so richly blessed us. Are you ready? These are our blessings through Christ Jesus. We are blessed with righteousness that exceeds peace that surpasses understanding, joy that is unspeakable. He forgives all our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. 
He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. He redeems our life from destruction. He satisfies our mouth with good things. Our youth is renewed like the eagles. His mercy endures forever. His truth endures to all generations. There is great grace for us, abounding grace, mercies that are new every morning. We are blessed with the surpassing excellence of knowing Christ. Our God gives good things to those who ask. We have abundant life now and eternal life in heaven. There are 100-fold blessings in this life. We are blessed with mothers and brothers and sisters in Christ, blessings that overtake us. He gives richly all things to enjoy. There is treasure stored up for us in heaven, angels in camp around about us. He surrounds us with songs of deliverance. The blood of Jesus covers us. The anointing abides within us. He rejoices over us with joy. He preserves our going out and our coming in. We are blessed in the city. We are blessed in the country. We are blessed going out. We are blessed coming in. All these blessings overtake us. Our cup runs over with joy. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. Things are given to us pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He has given exceedingly great and precious promises. And the last one, he gives exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. Can we worship our God? Jesus. You know, we started today talking about what we would make our parting words. What would our last words be? Will we be those who, like Paul, can say, it's all about the good news of grace. I wasn't greedy. I worked hard and I showed it is better to give than to receive. Amen. If that's your heart today, would you just lift up your hands? And I want to pray for you. Jesus, I just thank you for each person that's here. I thank you for the generous hearts that you have given us. And God, I pray that you would help us. God, help us to put you above all else. And God, I pray that you would help us to be those who would sow and who would give. 
God, because of you richly blessing us. God, we thank you for these wonderful blessings that you have blessed us with. And we pray this in your name, amen, amen. Finally, because it's all about the good news of grace, if you're here today or you're watching online and you are not in right relationship with Jesus, then I wanna give an opportunity for you to respond. If you see this amazing, incredible God who has died to save you, to bring you from darkness into his wonderful light, and if today you're saying you're ready to bow your knee to believe in faith in Jesus, to say, Jesus, I love you. If that's you, whether you're here in the building or watching online, would you just lift up your hand and say, that's me. I wanna make that decision today. And I wanna pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for each person online or here that is lifting up their hand. And God, I pray that you would come right now and show them how much you love them. God, we thank you for your grace. It's not because of their efforts. It's not because of what they could earn or what they could give. It's all because of your grace. God, we thank you for the faith that is stirring in their hearts to believe in you. And Jesus, I just pray that you would come and flood them with your love. We thank you that you are bringing them now into the family of God. And we celebrate new brothers and sisters. Church, can we celebrate those who've made a decision to follow Jesus? Amen. Amen. If you made a decision today, we would love to pray with you. Would you tell somebody? Would you come up? to the front and let us know. Would you send us a message online? And thank you so much for joining us here today, church. God bless you, and we'll see you next Sunday.